welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. I'm Hazel. We're two people who studied archaeology together and love history. So what's been going on? What has been made in your house? Okay. So if you don't mind, I would like to start the making and baking this week because I have finished sure. my reversible chameleon. Oh, yes. I, I have seen pictures of this and it's amazing. If you want to see pictures of my beautiful reversible chameleon, they are on my Instagram, which is underscore invisible underscore goats underscore because I'm invisible goats everywhere. However many underscores I have to add. But yeah. but you can see them. Yes. Well, I mean, you can't if you're listening to this, but I am perceivable. <laughs> but also since, because um, it was May Day a few days ago as of recording, um, me and Nick also made some scones and we managed to, to somehow in the midst of everything, get hold of some clotted cream. It, it well was done. just a good time. Such a good oh, time. Yeah. How about you? Um, yeah, well, I, I tried to have a little May Day celebration. Um, normally, I would go to Hastings, which has, um, it's, it's like a small town on the south coast. An, an amazing May Day celebration with like lots of people dressed in green and a big like somebody in a, in a massive tree costume <laughs> called the Jack. Um, and there's like processions and drums and stuff, and it's it's fun times. And there's there's Kaylee's as well. Do they have um, a maypole? Sorry. Do they have a maypole? There is a maypole. Yeah. Very important. Um, it's a good time, lots of music, lots of dancing. Um, <laughs> but as you might expect, um, I did not do that this year, <laughs> um, which makes it about a year since I've been to Kaylee, which is terrible. Um, but yeah, so I tried to have a little celebration at home instead, and I made myself a little crown of leaves and ivy and stuff. And um, yeah, we put, <laughs> my mum made a tiny maypole, <laughs> and <laughs> we put it out like in the front of the house with um stuffed toys dancing around it and it's yeah <laughs> i think people enjoyed that um but yeah i've also been baking and stuff um what did i make the other day oh i made some wild garlic pesto oh cool which was really nice there's a tiny patch of wild garlic um just rounds the lane from our house um so yeah i made like a pizza but with well this is going to sound extremely fancy <laughs> so i yeah i made this wild garlic pesto which is like amazing um it's it's like not as it's quite garlicky but not in the same way as cultivated garlic it's yeah it's difficult to explain but it like would recommend go and get some if there's any near you like it's free and it's delicious um, but yeah, so I made wild garlic pesto and then I made pizza, but with that as the sauce instead of tomato. Um, that does sound good. And it was, 
good times. Yeah, with like some bacon and mushrooms. Very woodlandy. <laughs> so, in that vein of woodlands and plants which are traditionally considered weeds, I would like to talk to you today about dandelions. Awesome! I'm excited for this. I know like one or two uses of them, but not really that many, or like why? So, yeah, tell me about dandelions. So, general introduction to the concept of dandelions. Um, <laughs> they're me- members of the genus Taraxacum, which I enjoy. Um, and the name means lion's tooth because of all the tiny pointy petals. That's Even though cool. they're yellow, so like, those lions are not practicing good oral hygiene. <laughs> Um, Do you know when they got that name? I don't know exactly when. Um, just sort of high medieval. We know it was used then. Okay, that, I mean uh, that makes sense. With like, I haven't been able to find anything earlier, but there's. I mean, it comes from like middle French, but the dandelions have existed for. At least 23 million years? That's a long time. Yeah. It's one of those things like crocodiles where nature just went, yep, this works, and just left it at that. (laughs) Well, if it ain't broke. Well, exactly. And the dandelion is not broke. Um. Yeah, so... Dandelions grow sort of most of temperate Eurasia. Um, So obviously we find that in sort of Greek medicine, Chinese medicine, um, and actually adopted by some Native Americans after it was introduced to the US because they took it over for medicinal purposes but dandelions do what dandelions want. <laughs> so now they're firmly established in the US. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they um, they establish themselves quite well, don't they? Yeah. Including in between the flagstones in my yard. I, I don't have a lawn. I live in an industrial terrace. But we have dandelions. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess after, like, several million years, you're probably going to be pretty hent. Yeah. It's it's pretty much dandelions and buddleias are the two plants that you'll find everywhere. Um, so the main medicinal use for dandelions pretty much everywhere is as a diuretic, which there is some evidence that, that it does work. Um, okay. This is a clean podcast, so I cannot give you the English folk name for dandelions. Um, but it's oh, can you tell me afterwards? A word meaning urinate, a bed. Okay. <laughs> um, there's actually, I don't know if you ever came across this, but 
a way that a lot of parents discourage their kids from picking dandelions is telling them it'll make them wet the bed. Oh, I think I have heard that one. And there's um, sort of an old wives' tale in Northern Italy that they grow where dogs pee on the sides of pavements. <laughs> I kind of like that. I like the idea of a dog looking out at like a meadow full of dandelions and being like, oh, my work here is done. But just <laughs> the fact that this diuretic effect is so well known pretty much globally that everyone associates <laughs> them with urine not just because of the <laughs> colour but just because of this thing is is kind of beautiful to me it's just it's <laughs> a urine flower wow a, a truly a true moment of global unity so, so are there any other uses for the dandelion um, dandelions have a lot of food uses. As you might have guessed from their colouring, they have a lot of vitamin C and A. So they're uh -huh. actually quite nutritionally good for you. Um, dandelions are one of those things, along with like pine needles, that it's if you have no access to citrus, have these because you'll have enough vitamin C to get by. Ah, cool. Does that um, not um, activate the? How does the diuretic effect get activated? Like, if you eat it, is is that also what happens? Or just having like bits of the plants? Because I mean, dandelion and burdock is a well-known sort of British pot that obviously contains yeah. dandelion root. I don't believe is a diuretic. Okay, I mean, any more than usual. A large amount of dandelion and burdock in my life. I don't believe it to be a diuretic, or if it is, it's a mild. I mean, one. if you drink, if you drink a lot of anything, you're likely it's likely to have a diuretic effect anyway. So, yeah, but when we say diuretic in in this case, it's less flushing you out like a purgative, and more sort of to reduce water retention and swelling. Okay. So it's more in the same way that, like, coffee's a diuretic. I see. And is edible. Uh, it's quite common, especially in Eastern Europe, to use them in salads, especially the leaves. Okay. They apparently have a... Um, yeah, apparently they have, have, like, a, a slightly... Slightly peppery taste. Kind of similar to rocket, but also slightly bitter. Yeah, like spinach. I have like a, a rockety feeling spinach. that. Ah, cool. I have a yeah, feeling the... that I've probably eaten dandelion salad at some point because it sounds like the kind of thing my mum would do. It's big in Crete, apparently. Um, and like I said, the the roots are used in sort of herbal drinks, and also as an alternative to coffee. I have not tried I've only had dandelion and root in the context of dandelion and burdock, but I am intrigued. Okay, well, um, I vote to get Liz to make dandelion coffee in the interest of science. 
cannot get to the roots without digging up my flagstones, and I think my landlord would be against that. <laughs> well, you could always just go and deface public parks. That's true. I mean, not right now, because our local park is a building site, because they're doing a load of um, flood works, but, but maybe in future. I guess that makes sense. But like, you know, in the future, there's always vandalism. So the context that you probably heard of dandelions in is, I'm guessing, dandelion wine? Yes. Um, and I think I did mention that. Um, Last the, episode. The other episode. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. Um, but, so that's... Yeah, I've never had it or anything. So, so that's made um, basically combining dandelion petals with um, generally with some citrus and hot water and just letting it just letting it go for a while, I guess. <laughs> but you can also combine that, that liquid with pectin or something high in pectin to make dandelion jelly. Okay. Which was apparently a big thing during the Depression in, in parts of, of America. Okay. And apparently tastes similar to chamomile tea. Ah. There's a great video about dandelion jelly actually on um, Emmy Made in Japan on YouTube. Uh -huh. And also deep fried dandelion flowers. Wow. Which, I mean, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of flowers that taste very nice. Hmm. I mean, the stushums come to mind. Just because they're the flower that I've had, but there are um, there are a lot of other yeah, flowers. Yeah, I've had an assertion. Primroses, you can eat. Um, yeah, a lot of flowers. You, you can candy rose petals. That's a thing, isn't it? Sorry, you cut out there. I didn't hear that. Sorry, so you, um, candying rose petals is a thing. Oh, yeah. They were a really popular sweet at one point, weren't they? Mm. Um. Um, Violet. So Sugared violets. Oh yeah, I've come across that. So one thing I find really interesting is how vehemently against the concept of dandelions we are now with sort of the modern culture of pristine lawn. We yeah, they are generally thought of as a weed, aren't they? I've seen so many weed killer adverts that specifically target dandelions. Yeah, they always have these like evil gangster dandelions. <laughs> But apparently um, dandelion sandwiches at one point were a delicacy among Victorian gentry, which I find particularly interesting since they're the ones who sort of introduced the concept of middle-class people having lawns. Yeah, and also um, I've, I've always thought of dandelion, because I kind of heard about you know dandelion wine and dandelion coffee a little bit and I've always seen that as like I guess like the peasant alternative to thing like you know foraging and free food and stuff um so it's interesting to know that they became a, like a posh thing as well yeah 
But I mean, it's it's something rich people have always done, isn't it? Is the poor people are making something nice, we must take it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was the bread part of dandelions. The thread part is very small. Um, but part. the dried flowers can be used as um as a yellow dye. Oh no way! And there's also been some research. Have you ever broken a dandelion stem and had that weird white liquid ooze out? Yeah. So that's actually a form of latex. Oh. So there's um people, the scientists in Germany, who've created a high latex varietal that they're trying to use to make um biodegradable tires <laughs> that is incredible <laughs> yeah <laughs> of all the things i did not expect to hear today wow is that does it say when that would be available the article that i found was from um 2016 and they said um, they'll be testing in the next few years. So I think not soon, soon, but I think within our lifetime, we could have dandelion tires. The future is bright. The future is dandelion. I really hope they're yellow. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. I realise they would naturally probably be white, but I want them to be yellow. Yeah, I want to see like a big fancy sports car with bright yellow tires. I think to be fair, if they did colour them, it'd probably be like a good status thing. Like, look at my my biodegradable yellow tires. Aren't you jealous? Yeah, I agree. It would be like the red sole on a pair of um whatever designer brand that is. Louis Vuittons. Louis Vuitton. There we go. Oh, which I only know because of that one gif of Emma Thompson just chucking her high heels over her shoulder. <laughs> So yeah, that is a brief introduction to why dandelions are good, actually. <laughs> Apart from, you know, bees like them and bees are important. Please be nice to bees. Yeah, just just smile at the bees. Make them happy. Let them have the dandelions. They have so little. <laughs> That's great, though. I'm going to try dying with dandelions, I think this year please please let us know how it goes yeah when when are the flowers over um oh well, i mean ours are already starting to go okay i better get some quick then mm. oh yeah but i'm sure no one would object to you on sort of on your daily outside time just going and plucking a load of dandelion heads i'm sure they wouldn't the only problem is though because it it the you know, the mowing the green spaces and the verges thing is so insistent that they get kind of mowed down before you can get them. That is a good point. Because apparently we can't have a bit of long grass at the side of the road because then it would look terrible. We need to write to the Fraunhofer Institute for Molecular Biology and Applied Ecology and see if we can get some of their special latexy dandelions. 
please we need them for uh, podcasting purposes <laughs> we get a hundred patrons thank you for that information that is that is good to know hello i'm mod i'm mod paper from probably bad rpg ideas and we have a podcast if you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. Do you want to truly understand the tripe monster from space? Do you want to know what happens when you compress an egg? We don't have the answers to these questions, but we do have a podcast about bad and weird films. Pod 9 from Outer Space, starring me, Nick, and Liz, who is not me. So what what's in the local larder today? Um, so, it being Easter not that long ago, <laughs> I was going to talk about hot cross buns. Oh, I love a hot cross bun. I love a hot cross bun too. Everyone loves a hot cross bun. Nick, do you love a hot cross bun? I love a hot cross bun. Yeah, see, I was right. Nick is every person. Okay. (laughs) So for anyone that hasn't had the incandescent joy of eating a hot cross bun, they are um, small buns, like sweet bread, um they're quite small they're like about as big as the palm of your hand and they are normally flavored with like cinnamon and they have raisins in sometimes they have um like dried candied peel in them as well um and they have a cross on the top made out of flour and water paper. and normally you eat them, you cut them in half, and you toast them, and you put butter on, and you eat them like hot with butter spread on it, and it, they're delicious, honestly. Um, so they yeah, it's are- like a toasted tea cake, but, but more so. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I guess, a cakier tea cake, mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean, but then I've had hot cross buns. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like a cross between a, a bread and a cake, really, but in like texture wise. Um, but yeah, can confirm they are delicious. So they're also very old. Um, traditionally eaten at Easter time because the cross is supposed to represent the cross of the crucifixion. But interestingly, um, they apparently go back quite a long way because apparently in Saxon times, people were eating buns with crosses on the top as well. And it was supposed to represent like the four corners of um hold on sorry i'm trying to find out (laughs) where i put the note (laughs) 
Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, apparently the cross uh, was also a pre-Christian symbol that symbolized, like, the four quarters of, like, the moon and the earth. So, yeah. Quarters of the moon? Sorry? Oh, like, what do you mean by the, the quarters of the moon and the earth? What does, what does that mean? exactly what it means by that i think it's like the um the stages of the moon so like the waxing and waning and full and new moon okay yeah um which was quite important in the celtic festivals um and there was originally a celtic festival at easter time as well um now i'm not like i haven't studied religious history or anything so i can't really um make too many claims about whether or not it uh easter is a fully co-opted pagan festival or anything i'm not i'm not gonna go there um but the hot cross bun it seems (laughs) is something that that goes back to pre-christian times um and the cross is a symbol used in both traditions um so the hot cross bun was eaten at other times of the year as well originally um they were sort of popular street food at a lot of different times in fact um under queen elizabeth the first the hot cross bun was banned apart from a few special occasions because it was a bit too catholic you know all this crucifixion stuff that makes sense Mm -hmm. Uh, so that might be why we don't associate it with other times of the year that much today although isn't therefore sacrilege (laughs) yeah um although people do eat hot cross buns you can get them year-round still um but they're most popular at Easter, just at that time. Um, another fantastic tradi- tradition, and um, I think this is my favourite fact <laughs> that I found out about the hot cross bun, um, is that there's a superstition that hot cross buns baked on Good Friday don't go off. And so you can keep them for up to a year. And there is a pub in London where um, there are just hot cross buns hung up above the bar that are like about 100 years old. they haven't molded they must be rock hard you would have thought i mean apparently they aren't just totally um that they're like not totally decayed um that they they must be you know you must be able to do some pretty good damage with them by now (laughs) break a window yeah, oh, it's, the pub is um, it's called the Widow's Son. It's in Bromley, 
and um, there's there's a story about a widow who lived there with her son and the son went off to sea and the mother waited for him and every year she baked a fresh hot cross bun but he never came home and so the hot cross buns like she kept them all and then um <laughs> they just ended up with all these buns so i'm not entirely sure <laughs> of the truth of that story but but it's one to add to the that... bread and thread road trip that we all one day do <laughs> yes. definitely oh no apparently 20 years ago a fire in the pub destroyed half of the buns oh no but that means they've still got half but we've got to look on the bright side yeah <laughs> <laughs> the good news is, though, that the bun tradition has been revived and you can, to this day, go and view the buns at the Widow's Son in Bromley. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. Buns are considerably more expensive than they used to be. Um, there's a famous rhyme about hot cross buns being one or two a penny. It's a good skipping song, that. Yeah. Um, Should we do it? We can do it. If we know the same one, I think we know what it is. Hot cross is it the one buns. Hot cross, cross, cross buns. Bun. One, one a penny, penny two a penny. Two a penny. Hot hot cross buns. Give them to... No, if you have no daughters, give them to, give your, them sons. to your sons. One, one a penny, two a penny. Hot, hot cross. cross buns. Buns. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck editing that, Nick. You might want to just take <laughs> a version. Can you make us sound good? <laughs> yeah, I always wondered about that if you have no daughters bit. Why Why do you give them to your daughter specifically? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe daughters get preference in, in the bun state. Um... There's probably some <laughs> sort of superstition about future husbands. It normally is. I think there is. It's involved in the like, if you can preserve, if you keep the bun for a year, you're sure to get married the next year or something like that. Um, I mean, either that or <laughs> you will have a very, very hard bun. Um, <laughs> there is a lovely superstition, though, um, about sharing the bun. Um, that it's supposed to, if, if you share the bun, it ensures lasting friendship, which is quite adorable. That is pretty great. Yeah. Um, now, there's, there's also a legend about a monk from St Albans being the original person who put the cross on the bun, um, but there's not really any proof to that. Um, so, yeah, despite the uh, the legends surrounding the hot cross bun, you know, the, the myth and the mystery, um, it's, it's probably one of the, like, longest running recipes. That's pretty that's, wild. Yeah, that's been traditionally eaten for, yeah, maybe... A, Around a thousand years. Which is quite impressive.
Yeah. Um. <laughs> so are hot cross buns a big thing outside of Britain? Um, I don't know if they're as big a thing, but I think in Australia and the US, um, and probably Canada as well by extension, like I think they're like a thing. Um, and I think they are associated with Easter as well because we have relatives in Australia and um, they sent us some pictures of them eating hot cross buns over the Easter weekend. Do you think that's something we've exported? Yeah, I think the tradition got like exported along with the buns um, to a lot of the countries that British people emigrated to in large numbers. They emigrated to. <laughs> that's a you very know, nice way of putting it. Colonised. <laughs> We're terrible in. <laughs> <laughs> but you know buns buns um yeah so i think it the recipe kind of varies a little but generally the bun thing and the cross is the same um i did make some buns a few weeks ago i used mary berry's recipe which is always a good bet um and they are delicious so Go for that if you uh, get the urge to try some buns and then keep them for a year and hang them in your living room. Then share them with your friends and see whether you're still friends afterwards. <laughs> that is a good test of friendship. <laughs> if someone actually eats the year old bun and you're still friends, um, I guess you're going to be friends for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go buns thank you that was that was enlightening <laughs> there's always a little wild fact or two hiding in um in quaint regional bread yeah this is this is why i, I love the local larder segment <laughs> It does. It has so many applications. Like, <laughs> there's always something unexpected in the local ladder. So we hope you enjoyed today, and that you do not feed your friends year-old baked goods. Um, if you want to suggest an episode or a local ladder, you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail dot com. You or can also follow us on Twitter at bread and thread. And don't forget that if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get hold of recipes and instructional videos. And we will see you next time.